But uh, today we're on part two of Jesus defending his disciples. And this is regarding grain picking on the Sabbath, which is a common problem for all of us here in the planet area. I know it's like, oh, I got in trouble for grain picking again. Um, But uh, look at verse 23 of Mark chapter two. It says, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So uh, in a couple of years, we have the, the vision to take an Israel trip uh, with our church. So we're going to be working towards figuring out what that would be. And uh, both Polina, Prineville, anyone that wants to start saving up. It'll be a couple years of saving for our culture, I think. But it's like the trip of a lifetime. Uh, they say a trip to Israel is um, equivalent to two years of Bible college. And, um, and I always call it virtual reality Bible because you are in the places where these things happen. And I've been four times to Israel on my third. And every time I go, my pastor who goes every year, he's really good friends with our tour guide. And he talks the tour guide into letting us do stuff that no other tour teams do. So we've been up on the Temple Mount. We've been really, we've been up to the Dome of the Rock. Um, We've been swimming in the Sea of Galilee. Um, Things that they just don't normally do with tours. And one trip, we talked the tour guide into taking us a roundabout way around Nazareth to what's called the Valley of the Doves. And if you've seen some of my Facebook videos that I've posted, a lot of times I'm referencing the Valley of the Doves. From the Sea of Galilee, if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, there's almost a, a Polina-type ridge line cliff that, that marks a valley. And it's, um, it was the only trail, very narrow, lots of cliffs and a creek and a trail by a creek. And this is the way that Jesus would have walked to get from Nazareth to Galilee. And so you're basically in this little area about the width of, you know, and it widens up to a little more, but I mean, this is where Jesus was. Okay. And, uh, and on the South end of this Valley are all of these grain fields to this day, it's grain fields. And it was the same field system that Jesus and the disciples were walking in at this time. And so what did we do while we walked it? We plucked grain and we kind of, you know, did the, a little bit of this. We were walking combines and we plucked the grain and we kind of ate it, which was a biblical thing to do back in the day. The disciples were not breaking the law. They were doing something that was permissible. The generosity of God and the compassion of God allowed for sort of a soup kitchen, you know, of nature to be able to harvest and to glean for the poor uh, back, of the, uh, back in those days. Um, but something that you see happen in Jesus's day that also happens all over the place is that legalists objected. (laughs) Okay. And you might not entirely know what that means, but you do know what that means because we've all experienced it. And we oftentimes are the legalist and those are people. And we can be people that love a good rule. You know, we just love a good rule or we just love some good old religion, you know, give me some of that old time religion, some of that old, you know, not a lot of people say that anymore. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, we like it because it makes us feel um, clean. It makes us feel clean on the outside. It makes us feel respected on the outside. And we can take some comfort in what we have done for ourselves. Um, We also can, 
lack a lot of grace in these behaviors. And the problem here, as it's going to go on, because the Pharisees say to him in verse 24, look, why do they do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So here come the rule keepers. The Pharisees were the guy that they got paid to keep rules. And I know some of you are like, is there, are they hiring around here? Because I'm a rule maker and I'm a rule keeper. And, uh, and the problem was that nothing in the law of Moses declared this act to be against anything that God had commanded. But the Pharisees were known to be people that would um, add and subtract and make all kinds of loopholes to support their own way of living. And so sometimes they didn't even know really what they were doing right or wrong. And so here they in their mind, the disciples seem to be violating some sort of God-given law. And so they object to it. And essentially what you see here is you see Jesus and his guys that are just always helping people, just helping people, big smiles on their faces, you know. And then you've got the people that are just following them around with like a magnifying glass, just waiting for them to mess up. Now, have you ever had a police officer pull out behind you? And you're driving and, you know, it's like 10 minutes of a, and you're just like 10 and two, 10 and two, you know, uh, your mirrors and the phone is on the floor. So you don't even think of, you know, and you're just like, you know, you're praying and you're, and you're just like, he's going to get me for something, you know? And that was these Pharisees, man. They're just like, what are you going to do wrong? And when is it going to happen? And here they seemed to pick something out. The Talmud that the Jews would follow, which were the traditions of the Jewish rabbis, not of scripture, but the Talmud gave all sorts of ideas of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath, which made uh, the Sabbath really anything but a day of rest. It really made it a day of sweating, you know, of what did I do wrong? And here's a couple of the rules that the rabbis made up. You cannot travel more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath day. That was considered work. You can't look at yourself in a mirror because if you see a gray hair, you'll pull it and that's work. All right. Although in central Oregon, we don't really do much with what we see in the mirror. Am I right? Okay. Just, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. You know who you are. I'm just kidding. Um, You can't take a bath because if the water splashes out of the tub onto the floor, that's washing the floor and that's work. Okay. Uh, Even today you go to Israel, you walk into a really nice hotel and you go to the elevator, there's elevators and then there's the Sabbath elevator, the Shabbat elevator. This is an elevator that does not have working buttons on the Sabbath day. So you get in it, and it, first-timers to Israel always make this mistake. They're like, hey, I'll see you up at the room, room 10, level 10, right? Okay, sweet. Bing! <laughs> and then nothing's working, and you just have to... And by the time, you know, it's like a year later, they've got the gray hairs because it's taken so long to get to, and, uh, and it's hilarious. And so you usually try to get someone to go under that <laughs> Sabbath elevator. 
And so, uh, how does this really apply to us? I mean, let's go to the next story here, Rory. Um, uh, Because we need to be considering, what is this lesson going to be teaching us as New Testament Christians regarding the Sabbath and various rules that the rule makers might be making towards us on the Sabbath? Um, Now, uh, for, I would say, New Testament Christians... And if we're just going to go ahead and say uh, Calvary Chapel, because uh, that's the ministry that's here today, um, we do not consider Sunday to be the Sabbath day. uh, Or I'm sorry, we do not consider the Sabbath to any longer be on Saturday, although the Jews still celebrate Friday night into Saturday through Saturday evening, the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. Um, But New Testament Christians began taking that day of rest on a Sunday. And the reason that they did that was because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it was such a celebratory moment in our story of redemption that the early church began meeting on Saturdays uh, instead of Sundays. And you see this already in the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 7 when uh, the early church uh, would gather on the first day of the week, which was a Sunday, when the disciples would come together, they would break bread and, uh, and, he, and then there would be a teaching. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul was teaching and it says he continued his message until midnight. And so you think you've got it bad here on a Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Wait till the Apostle Paul comes to preach and you're here till the wee hours of the night. And you guys know the story. There was a guy up in an upstairs window and it was hot and he ended up falling out of the window and you know what his name was? Eutychus. Eutychus, too, if you would have fallen out the window. <laughs> and, okay. and he actually died, and they went and revived him and brought him back to life. But just quit complaining, okay? Because I'm only going to go for, like, another 20 minutes. Think you can handle that, Val? Okay, stop rolling your eyes at me, and let's get into the Bible. Okay. Eutychus, yes. Eutychus is his name. E-U-T-Y-C... Cuss. Okay. Um, and I know this is what you're paying for. Um, just kidding. Um, so, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit, um, but I want to go ahead and just read a little bit about like JC Ryle was very helpful as we get into this because he says at once we hear the Pharisees accusing our Lord, Accusing the Lord. Okay, so that's something you don't want to do. Okay, but as if he'd committed some great moral offense. We see from these verses what extravagant importance is attached to trifles by those who are mere formalists in religion. The Pharisees were mere formalists. If there ever were any in this world, they seem to have thought exclusively of the outward part, the husk, the shell at the ceremonial of religion. They even added to these externals by traditions of their own. Their godliness was made up of washings and fastings and peculiarities of dress and will worship while repentance from sin and faith and holiness were comparatively overlooked. It was Ironside that said, it ought to be a settled principle in our minds that a man's soul is in a bad state 
when he begins to regard man-made rites and ceremonies as things of superior importance and exalts them above the preaching of the gospel, it is a symptom of a spiritual disease. There is mischief within. It is too often the resource of an uneasy conscience. And so we have the Pharisees who are nitpicking on rules. They were all about the external religion. In fact, Jesus will rebuke them and he'll say, you guys, you are like whitewashed tombs. It's like a grave that's been painted. And outside it's all nice and whitewashed and maybe there's even some flowers, but you open up the tomb and it's full of dead men's bones. And that's what Jesus says is these religious people. There's nothing clean inside. And then he likens it again as someone who's washing a dish. And I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old who are doing dishes at our house now. And I'm constantly like, this is not clean, you know. And it's been through the dishwasher. Um, And Jesus says, you know, you polish the outside of the cup or the bowl and set it on the shelf when you haven't taken care of the inside where all the food is, right? And, uh, And so Jesus really, he rebukes the religious hoity-toities, you know, um, more than he rebukes the full-on all-out sinners who need a physician when you read the Gospels. And so uh, it's a telltale sign when a person is just about rule. It means there's something else going on in their hearts. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. So the issue with the Galatian church was that they were resting in all of these things they were doing rather than resting in the grace of God. And so it goes on in this text of our Mark 2.25 is where we're at. Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry he and those with him. And just real quick, it is so good to know the Bible. It is so good to pack your Bible with you. It's good to take it. If you're going to go preach at a church somewhere, you should bring your Bible. I recommend it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Preaching to the choir. I know. Um, But it's good to know your Bible that when you haven't have a disagreement with somebody, you're able to say it is written. And you're able to take one another and reason through the word that even if you're wrong, you're able to continue to press into the Bible and do what Jesus did and say, let's see what it says here and here. Okay. And let's use the rules of interpretation to find out what Jesus would have us do in these different situations. And so Jesus's answer to these rules is, have you never read the Bible? Have you ever never written, written? Have you never read in <laughs> what David did when he was hungry and he was hungry and he went into a tabernacle and he had his buddies with him and they went into the tabernacle. They probably had dirty sandals on their feet too. the sick, you know, the dirty filthies, you know, and it reminds me of the Calvary Chapel movement. If you know anything about Calvary Chapel back in the day in the seventies, Chuck Smith was a pastor of what was once a four square church. And then uh, he just started preaching through the Bible and a bunch of surfers and hippies got saved. And these guys were coming into the church fresh off the beach with sand between their toes, their swimsuits on. 
And, uh, and sometimes not even, I mean, with the boys, sometimes not even shirts on, okay? I mean, they're not pagans, okay? <laughs> but he, and, and all of the deacons and all of the ushers were like, we cannot have, it. it's okay to button your top collar, I'm just trying to be dramatic, okay? Uh, we cannot have this in here. And Chuck was like, hey, if it's going to get the carpet dirty, we'll rip out the carpet. Because these people are getting saved, let's get them in here. The issue isn't about the carpet and the candelabras. The issue about what is the Lord doing in these folks' heart. He goes on to say, remember when David, he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests. And also he gave those some to those who are uh, with him. And so really the, the story of David shows us that God cares more about people and their need than about keeping the law of the Sabbath. And so from this flows verse 27, which is the purpose and the design of the Sabbath. And that's explained below. And for those of you that really know your Bible, this is Bible trivia time, except I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm just going to tell you the answer. I don't know what you call that. A lecture, I guess. You may know that the Samuel account here is that it wasn't uh, Abiathar, the high priest, but rather it was Abimelech, okay? And so m- many of you probably didn't know that, nor do you really care, except that if you're a critic of the Bible, you'll say, error! The Bible is nothing but errors. And the scholars have done so much amazing work to show how this is a non-issue And there are so many ways to explain why Jesus would have said Abiathar. Um, And so just to set your mind at ease, there's some beautiful logic behind it. And as Christians, we can still say the Bible stands as authoritative and without error. Okay, we're just going to move on from there. It's a whole nother Bible college subject that I'm not ready to teach and you're not ready to hear right now. Okay. but as Ryle says, some requirements of God's laws might be relaxed in case of necessity, okay? And so what we're talking about, we're not talking about laurel, uh, laurel law, moral law, okay? So you perk up over there, Andy. You know, you can toss some of these Ten Commandments out the window? No, can't, okay? But there's purposes of some of the ceremonial laws that were able to be relaxed because God cared more about the people and their needs than he did about some of these ceremonial laws, okay? Um, and so this all moves into verse 27 and some of the explanation that's to come. Jesus said to them, and if you've got your underlining pen out, here's a good one, okay? The Sabbath was made for man, not vice versa, not the man for the Sabbath. This is an important principle of the Sabbath. And if I may bring it to the New Testament era, the Lord's day as well. Um, I'm not sure if I've jumped the gun yet, but I'm going to go ahead and hop in front of it here. Okay. Many have gotten hurt doing that. Um, so New Testament Christians, uh, we meet on Sunday in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Now let's go back to when we first heard about the Sabbath day, okay? Um, Really, it was the creation account. 
And it was that last day when God rested after creating the world, okay? And after he rested, he set up this principle of a day of rest and a day of holiness. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, there was this created order of a principle of rest for mankind. It was a blessing for man, uh, that man would be refreshed in the race and he would know his God and find life in that. This was not a commandment, okay? The, the law of Moses was not given for something like a thousand years after creation. And when Moses was given this law, it was affirmed that we have a Sabbath day, A, or one, because of creation, because of that day of rest, but B, or two, <laughs> because of the rescue out of Egypt. And so that's why the commandment was given in the Ten Commandments. As you read the the commandment, it doesn't just say, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It goes into a whole lot of stuff about the Sabbath day. And one of those things is, we will do this because we're rejoicing that God is a God who redeems us out of Egypt. And so it's a response of rejoicing that we've been delivered out of slavery. But then it goes on to kind of help affirm what was going on in creation. And that is that it was, a day, it was a day of rest, not just for you, but for all of your employees and for also um, all of those that would be laboring under you, like a beast of burden or, you know, modern day would be a machine or something like that. I mean, it's really interesting how intricately this can be applied to, to today's living. Um, and so... Then you kind of fast forward a couple thousand years to the days of Jesus and you see that Jesus comes and he helps explain what the purpose was of this law. The purpose wasn't, you know, for this Sabbath day that is in and of itself something special, but rather the flow goes this way towards man, that it's something we get to do and get to have because it was made for us so that we might find rest and refreshment in the race. That is, we're especially concentrating on a day to keep it holy that flows throughout the rest of the week and it sets the pace in in our holiness. Um, It also gives opportunity for those that would normally be working to be able to be worshiping as well. Um, And uh, and we're going to get into a little bit more Uh, What's so special about it now as New Testaments on Sundays uh, in just a moment. But notice that it says, and when I say it, I mean Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man. Automatically, a big weight ought to be lifted off of us. Okay, Even if it's some of you that you kind of feel like, well, now there's a church in Palina and I got to go to it or something, you know, and and oh Sunday or you know and um, like hey hold on first of all like God doesn't want to put a big yoke on you that you're just like okay he wants to free you of the of the yoke and he wants to actually help you in your life he actually cares about you and he knows that your best care for you your body mind soul and spirit is going to be that you spend time in the holiness of his presence and you know him That is where true rest and peace and life comes from. Uh, And so the Sabbath was made for you, that you would be blessed, that you would find refreshment. 
And let me just read Ryle on this, and you're going to love it, I'm sure. That there is a mine of deep wisdom in these words of Jesus. They deserve close attention. And the more so because they're not recorded in any other gospel except for that of Mark. What are the odds that we'd be there, guys? Okay. The Sabbath was bade. Oh, that was a typo. <laughs> I'm like, well, it says it. You got to say it. No, that would have been me. Okay. <laughs> a lot of times I take stuff offline and so it's right. This time I typed it. Anyways, the Sabbath was made for man's benefit and happiness. It was for the... It was for the oh God of his body you, or the good of his body, the good of his mind, and the good of his soul. It was given to him, and this is right, as a boom and a blessing, and not as a burden. This was the an original institution. Did you catch that? It was for your good. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Ryle goes on to say, the observance of the day of God was never meant to be so enforced as to be an injury to his health or to interfere with his necessary wants, not intended to be so interpreted as to do harm to his body or prevent acts of mercy to his fellow creatures. This was the point that the Pharisees had forgotten or buried down in their traditions. There's nothing in all of this was to warrant the rash assertion of some that our Lord was done away with the fourth commandment. On the contrary, he manifestly speaks of the Sabbath day as a privilege and a gift and only regulates the extent to which his observance should be enforced. He shows that works of necessity and mercy may be done on the Sabbath day, but he says not a word to justify the notion that Christians need not remember the day to keep it holy. If you didn't get what that last little part was, it's okay, okay? Because Jesus goes on to say in verse 28, therefore the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now that's an awesome statement, but you know what many Christians do with that statement? They do this. Oh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Eh. Does that really make sense? Jesus is the Lord of holiness, so eh. Don't need to be holy anymore. Just go live a life of debauchery and immorality because he's the Lord of holiness. That would be a wrong interpretation of the scripture. That would be a wrong application of scripture. And so what we get from this is we have so many churches that have begun to follow the culture of our day. And that is this. Did you know that it wasn't until the last 70 years that people have begun to disregard the Lord's day. In the book of Revelation chapter one, John calls Sunday the Lord's day. It was the day of worship. Uh, it wasn't until the last 70 years that people began to stay home and watch football or sign their little kid up for little league so that he could just go live for himself and you know go play little league or soccer or whatever it might be. Um, it, it, the, and maybe the Bedorthas, you might have some good memories of these things, or you're not 70 yet, are you alone? Okay, we got like a 35 vibe going on, if I'm correct. But, you know, but, uh, but 
it's amazing to talk to some of our, of our seniors because they remember that for the 2,000 years up until like the 1950s or so, um, the, the Sunday was considered like a holy day. It was a day that, you know, we go to church and we worship Jesus. It's a special day. And, and our culture has taken that to mean Sunday fun day. All right. Now, if you go to church, it can still be fun day, right? We have a pretty good time here, right, Andy? Um, but of course, what our culture means by that is like, it's my vacation day and I'm going to party, you know, uh, when really, if you follow the church history accounts that have come off of the scriptures, Sunday is still to be a day that has holy observance to the Lord. It's a concentrated time of rest. And it's a time where we hope that those people that work in the restaurants and the grocery stores and the gas stations, that they would be able to, if there was enough of a movement of coming back to what it was before 70 years ago, these folks could get back into church and be hearing the gospel and there could be a revival again. That's a tough thing that I'm talking about, okay? Um, and so with that, just in the last two years, the Lord has just stirred a work in our church where we have a value again for the Lord's day. We do believe that the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Lord's day. He's the Lord of a special day that's kept holy. It's a special day of rest and where we're encouraging rest among those around us. And we're also um, using it for opportunities to do good. Now, are there times that you have to travel on the Lord's day? Yes, there are. Are there times you have to eat out on the Lord's day? Yes, there are. Are there times that you've got to pull your donkey out of a pit? Yes, there are. And guess what? That's okay. Because the day was made for you, not vice versa. But I guarantee as you read church history, and I had to do a lot of work to study this two years ago. I did a lot of research. There was such an amazing work that was going on in the homes of people and in the churches of the United States when people valued Sunday. And I feel that we have thrown something that was very special even to the church fathers and we've tossed it to the curb and a lot of marriages and a lot of kids are going by the wayside. Um, and a lot of people are not able to hear the gospel because they're bound to a job uh, just because we've lost that. And so what does that mean in our culture? You know, it means that we're just mindful of it and we value it. And for the most part, our family, um, you know, during before sundown, typically on a Sunday, we just, for the most part, we try not to go out and eat. But if we do, we use that as an opportunity to share the gospel and to be generous with our tipping and to have conversations with the waitress or the staff. Um, same with as we go to the gas station to come here. I try to, do you have any cash, honey? You know, maybe tip and just share, hey, like this is a special day to us and that you're working. Like we just want to maybe ornament the gospel here a little. We're mindful of it. You know, employers, we're mindful of who are we making work. Um, and uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting study in no way is it to be legalism, right? Because we're preaching against that. But church history all the way up to the last 70 years had a value of this day. And I would just encourage you to be prayerful and talk with your spouse about, you know, what does it mean like for us and our kids? And, you know, when I was growing up, um, I remember going to church on a Sunday and kids uh, started playing what was called five aside soccer. And all my friends were like, hey, are you playing five-a-side soccer? Are you playing five-a-side soccer? It's like, that sounds awesome. I love soccer. Like, when, when is it? And they're like, oh, it's on Sunday, so we're not going to be coming to church for, like, this block of months during. And it was like, like, for me, and I was a kid, and I didn't even like going to church. I mean, I was like, 
there got to be something else I can do. I was like, you don't do that on a Sunday. Like that. And, uh, and what's interesting is even in Prineville, for instance, we had kids at the beginning of the summer come and be baptized that were like, I want to live for Jesus. He's doing something in my heart. And then sadly, I didn't see them for a three month block of time because they were on swim team. So they're traveling all over and you're just, it's just grievous because you're like, Hey, swim team, sweet, awesome, radical, like all day Saturday, go swim your heart out, you know, and then disciple your kids. And so, you know, it's not going to die on a hill on this, but I would just encourage all of us just pray about how this day is for us and how we might be missing out on something if we're just given over to the idols of this world. Um, Hey, what do you know? It's time to end. (laughs) Couldn't have come any sooner. I'm telling you that. It could have come sooner. It it could have come sooner. That would have been good for all of us, huh? Okay. Um, I just want to wrap up with this little story about a Sabbath day healing. Okay. And it's pretty short here. And, um, I have to get to my phone Bible to look at it. And it's in chapter three. And he entered the synagogue again. And so this is on the Sabbath day. He entered a synagogue and a man was there who had a withered hand. So some of us have seen individuals who have withered hands. Um, you can do a Google image search. And I did that this morning. I was like, Oh, what is that exactly like? And if you ever read the book, Johnny Tremaine, anybody read that book? It's about the revolutionary war silversmith. And he spilled silver all over his hand and they didn't, um, they didn't, uh, when they would wrap his hand, they didn't wrap it so that it could heal. Um, they wrapped it like this. And so he, you know, it all fused together essentially. And so Johnny Tremaine had a bit of a withered hand. And, uh, and so for whatever reason, whether through accident or some sort of birth defect, um, there's this, uh, paralyzed, withered, shriveled hand. And so again, here's the rule people. Verse two, they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. And by the way, if you're like at Crossroads Diner on a Sunday, like don't feel like Rory's over there. Like, oh, didn't they listen to me? You know, I'd probably just join you and, but I'm never invited. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know who you are. Yeah. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, how great is it that Jesus just had a reputation that he was going to be compassionate? I bet he's going to be nice to him again. Can you believe this guy? You know, they looked to see if he would heal him so that they could accuse him. Just like the Daniel, the governors and satraps in Daniel's story, they were looking for a way to trap him. And they're like, he's such a good guy. There's no way we can trap him in anything except concerning the law of his God. So let's make a rule that he can't pray to anybody but King Darius, and then we'll be able to arrest him. And so they make that rule, and he gets arrested, thrown to the lions, as you guys know. So they're waiting to accuse him, and, they, and just immediately he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And then he said to them, he's asking them a question, a teachable moment. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? So is it lawful? Did you remember my sermon from chapter two? Is it, is this a good thing? Should we do this or not? But they all kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. And by the way, the word grief there, it's the only place in the Bible 
grief is used in this way. Uh, and it's a grief that seems to be accompanied with this anger that's also mentioned. Uh, he's grieved because they're just stone cold. I mean, they just won't reason and they're just hard hearted. And in the midst of that, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he tells the man to do two impossible things. Number one, stretch out your hand. I can't. And the second thing is it's on the Sabbath. So also I can't. (laughs) And yet he stretched it out. And it was like, as the faith went from here to here, boom, the hand was healed. Isn't that an incredible thought of when that happened? He stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians, which were Jews loyal to King Herod. By the way, they were the enemies of the Jews, but the enemy of my enemy is my best friend. So they teamed up. They plotted how they might destroy Jesus with violence. And so interesting Sabbath lesson for us today. And you guys are sensible people who have Bibles on your own and you get to go home and study this for yourself. And if you're really interested, I did like a six-week series on the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And you can just go to calvaryprineville.com, type in the media player, Sabbath or Lord's Day, and you'll have all the teachings you'll ever want to hear on the subject. 